For those who know what's right. For those wedded to the machines in their bedrooms, their studios, their best friend's garage or basement. For those who negotiate with the system every day to make time for the music that matters. For those who get in debt to fund the fight against the mundane. For those who stay true to their cause even in the face of income and fame through compromise. For those who feel the power of every beat. For those who keep their minds open. For those who encourage and support those pursuing their personal dream. For those who've sacrificed relationships to make sure the music is heard. For those for which the music is a lifetime, not a pastime. This is Bass Agenda. 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 Hi, how you doing? Welcome to Base Agenda. Got a big show for you this month. 100% focused in on the work and creativity of Stefan Weiss, aka Cert, aka one half of the two-man team behind the fantastic Science Cult label. Probably don't need an introduction to them, but if you do, recommend checking out recent uh, label highlight mix of some of the stuff on that label on Dark Science Electro. And we spend the first half or so of this show talking about Science Cult and their approach to running a label. And of course, we're going to check out some of the music on there, as well as a ton of certs music. One of my favourite interviews of recent times. Hope you enjoy it. Lots to learn in here for artists and label owners. And lots of hard, abstract electronics to bend your mind to. This is Cert, and you are listening to Base Agenda.
release yourself. Walk a new path. Unlock the hidden. Congratulations on, on what is a fantastic label. Thank you. And the respect is mutual. Uh, we really loved Base Agenda. And so, in fact, I have some of your records here and I've got a bunch of your releases that I bought digitally. So oh, cool. the respect is very much mutual. And Thanks, man. I think that's that just speaks to the to the spirit of the electro scene in general that I've seen is that everybody's just really like supportive yeah. of each other. and. You know, very. It's all about respect. I, I've been making music for th going on thirty years now, mm -hmm. and you know, across a variety of genres. I haven't always done electro. Um, I've done techno. I've done progressive breaks, house music, stuff like mm -hmm. that. So, mm -hmm. but the the level of respect and camaraderie that you see in electro especially between not just artists but between labels yeah 
um, yeah, there's, there's no real sense of, of no real sense of competition. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no competition in previous iterations of my music career. I've always seen people and labels be very competitive with each other in various capacities, and it always kind of like. Like, I mean, I don't care. I just make music for myself, you know? But in some sense, it was always kind of like, like, why are, why are they so competitive with each other? I don't understand. Maybe it was from a business perspective, but. Well, that was, I was going to say, my, my theory is, is that it could be the fact that, because no, literally nobody's making money from Electro. <laughs> well, hardly, hardly. Anybody. It's like, what's the point in getting, you know, uptight about competing if, if nobody's kind of on the, on the commercial front nobody's really making any headway. well and is anybody really making money in the music industry in general anymore i mean well that's true you know yeah yeah, yeah we're yeah. getting as artists we're getting raped by streaming services yeah man, digital true. sales are th there's something there with digital sales Bandcamp mm. is or was i'm not sure where it is now but you know Bandcamp is still pretty good you can I mean, you can't eat. Let's put it that way. As an artist, you can't eat off of music. Uh, very, and even even few. the yeah, and even the people I know that you know where you would think, oh well, they're probably making music for a living. You know, when you get to know them, they're like, oh no, I've got to go to work. Oh, yeah, they yeah. play they play five six shows a month, but then they still have to go yeah to work. Yeah, it's a real they shame. Make real money, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, man. But maybe I, I just say maybe that's a good thing in a way because it means every, for the most part, most people are humble. You get the odd, you get the odd dickhead, but yeah. <laughs> but most, well, the most people are good. Most people. Are good. Well, the humility aspect is really important because mm. what keeps you grounded is what keeps you humble. But more importantly, I think it's also, at least for me, when you when you're constantly chasing something like the dream of being a full-time musician, right? Mm. You just, you try harder, you work harder. Mm. You, yeah. you spend more time finding the time to be in the studio. Mm. You maybe push yourself a little harder physically too, where you say, well, I really should go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, but I'm gonna stay up another couple hours and write music mm. because I just really want to. So I think, the whole, yeah, not desperation, but it's it's sort of like if you have everything, if you're done, if you've arrived, mm. and you're making money, then you kind of stop. Like you just mm. you're no longer you're no longer pushing yourself to do more because you're no longer chasing anything, right? I see. Yeah, I get. You. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true for everybody. It's certainly true for me. Yeah. Um, there were some goals in my life that I reached and then I was like, oh, okay, I'm here now. Um, mm. So I think I'm gonna go do something else. Like I stopped trying. Mm. No, know? I know what you mean, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. I guess for some of us, it's like an expensive hobby or something, but for those of us that really take it seriously, and I know there's a lot mm. that do, mm. um, you just you just work your ass off. I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the journey is always more fun and more exciting than the destination mm. and it seems like with with music at least for me it's always been the journey mm. okay you know okay and, yeah. I, I, and there's now that i'm older and a tiny bit smarter i, I think about it and i'm <laughs> like 
I almost never want to get to that destination because it just it's gonna keep me it's gonna keep me driven and keep me working harder than if I were to get to that point and then sit back and be like, oh, oh, I'm done now, <laughs> you know. Because I know you because somehow it's funny you say that somehow the the journey is feels a bit more honest. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like this true, you know, authentic hard graft that, that's going on, you, you know, at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I get it. And do you think being, running a label has influenced the way you look at life as an artist? For a long time, I would, I was doing what most artists do. I make music hmm. and then demo it. And then I would watch as the label, you know, put out a promo and then the release came out and then like a week later, they were on to the next thing. And with records, the thing I remember is that a record would come out and people would talk about that record for like two or three months, at least. While in the meantime, other records were coming up, but people would still talk about your record because they were holding it in their hand. The digital, release thing about here today gone tomorrow that really started to kind of wear on me so it's like yeah you know there's so much amazing music out there and you miss it you miss almost all of it if you're not on beatport or whatever digital download site if you're not on there every single day checking mm. you know you can almost refresh the page and watch it all go away yeah so it's like this it's the here today gone tomorrow mm. aspect of it just really didn't it just didn't sit with me. So the thing that immediately became obvious to me was you put out your own records, you do your own your own thing. That's what gets your foot in the door. That's what gets you recognized as an artist. It's the hard. And I know that sucks because I know artists that work incredibly hard at making really amazing music and then they get record deals mm. and they kind of get shafted in the end. Like nobody really they they get a record deal with all these promises up front and then they don't no one no everybody forgets about them um yeah whereas record labels that care mm. that will put your music out there whether it's on a cd or on a, on a record you know physical mm. media or record labels that care to do more than just a standard digital release like they put a little something behind it mm. um that's when the artists are more happy and when they feel like they're being appreciated. And so yeah, I agree. with Science Cult, that's, first of all, we noticed that people were much more engaged with what we were doing once we started putting out vinyl records, because that's mm. the first thing we did. Mm. People like took note, but then also the way that we like to put our releases out, we don't, we don't just want to be an assembly line of just mm. constant stuff you know yeah, yeah. so the artists that work with us for the most part um are fairly happy with the way we do things because mm, they feel like they're being they're being appreciated mm. um and it goes beyond that it's like it, having a record label became an, a platform for us in and of itself to express ourselves artistically even more mm, yeah yeah mm. because I, i'm an artist as a musician but i'm also an artist uh, visually and I with the first release the thing I did is I wrote a science fiction story and the oh. science fiction story was something that you could get to from listening to the record there's a 
there's a little secret on the on the very first science cult release that'll lead you to a website where you can read a science fiction story i wrote and it was just a more like furthering the expression um it, it gave it gave me this this whole new platform to express myself artistically mm. like i do almost all the cover art for science cult with the notable exception of course of the uh the singularity covers like the lee holman and the decoder release those were done mm. by um our friend in wisconsin uh dustin uh hockey who does uh comic book art mm. and then we had um greta haga doing the the lord jalapenos cover okay really great really mm. great artwork with all the machines and stuff on it mm. um but we do a lot of our own artistic work mm. on these because it gives us another way of experimenting with with another type of art you know we've, yeah we've played around with ar with ai art generation we've played around with many different types of tools mm. i went to art school okay so yeah i i'm a, I'm a so i'm a quote-unquote trained artist yeah 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> even though that doesn't mean anything at all um but you know it's just it's more fun it it's a lot of fun and you you get to find out various new creative avenues for yourself
thing, the important thing is, is you have to provide, well, you don't have to. This is just what we do. Hmm. We like to provide a platform for our artists to also express themselves. Hmm. So a lot of times with the releases, with the physical releases, especially, I tell the artists, like, I want to hear your story. I want to know what it is about you that you were putting into this. And that's how we arrive at a lot of the things that we're doing, you know, like with Save the Robots. um, It's interesting because John Salway and DJ Hell, they were like, we have this track that we've never found a home for. And, you know, here it is. And then I kind of said the first thing I said to them, I'm like, okay, so what's the what's the story here? And at first they were a little bit like, well, you know, it's just a track. But then <laughs> DJ Hell, DJ Hell actually came back and he said, you know, John and I used to play at this club in New York called Save the Robots, and it was just this fascinating venue, and it was just really awesome. And he just started like going on and on about this club and how much he loved it and what how much of a great time he had. And then John chimed in and was like yeah that really was a lot of fun and i was like okay so now we're here's the story you know yeah yeah and then and then dj hell said yeah can we please call it save the robots because i i remember that song and i remember this this club Mm. and so i said okay so now we have a story we have a narrative Mm. because there's the narrative assigns it meaning right that makes it deeper that makes it just more than just a track yeah yeah and then i said so what's the visual inspiration and he dj hell is very much in love with italo disco and the mm. 1980s yeah. type look of that mm. so i said okay so i played around with some ideas and he wasn't particularly happy with it and he kept sending me these ideas of like cocktails and things and i said yeah you know i still got to keep it somewhat science cult but then we ended up doing the Suriyama the robot girl yeah yeah um, yeah and that's when he was like oh yeah that's it mm. I said yeah because you remember that was everywhere everywhere in the 80s we had the posters with the with the chrome robot girls right it's like yeah yeah i remember so we did that with the with the the afro rays and then i said you know we'll do a cutout and then the inner sleeve it had the map of where the where the club was located with the oh really I didn't, I, yeah not, I, so I, I i drew the the google map i redrew it for the back cover so that you would see exactly where this club was that's cool and and so it's narrative it's express it's not just expressing the music but it's expressing all the story everything that goes with it yeah and to me that's always been what makes records really amazing and not just records it can be digital too you can do this with digital yeah um, there is pro there there is product design in digital mm. but when it comes to physical obviously product design becomes a lot more fun because you get to work yeah. with real materials but still and you, you get to tell a story mm. and you get to assign narrative and if the narrative comes from the artist or you you help them you help coax that narrative out of them a little bit well this is the thing you can tease it out because as you said a lot of artists would just say oh it's just i was just fucking around on this, this yeah this yeah exactly <laughs> it's like hang on it's got more there and there usually is more there but as you say it doesn't come naturally to people to just start to yeah. I mean, some people I work with, you know, we did, we're doing the, the release with Polo Droid in uh, October. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he was like, 
I was like, so what's the story here? What, what's the narrative? And he was immediately on that. Mm. Like, yeah. But, and he sent me volumes of excerpts from literature and images. And I mean, we had, you know, we had a whole like library of things to work from. Wow. And so I started, I started putting together designs and ideas around that. Mm. And then I said, okay, I see where you're going with this. So I wrote a short story mm. that would maybe steer us in a direction. And then he was like, okay. So he took that short story and then re like remixed it, if you will. Yeah. So we wrote him and I rewrote the story together mm. that it, it's complete nonsense, right? But it's, it's what his, it's what it, the universe for his record is. It's what encapsulates his record and mm. puts it in a universe of his own making. Complete fiction. Most people will read this. It's on the back of the record. Mm. Okay, Most cool. people will read it and be like, this is complete nonsense. Mm. But it's exactly the thing that he, it's, it's his story. It's what he wanted to say. It's his narrative. Mm. And then we played with the artwork for a long time. It was probably like a month and a half where we kept going back and forth on artwork mm -hmm. and then one day it was one of those like out of the blue moments just is fucking around and i was like how about i try this which is kind of the same thing that happens with music too right mm -hmm. just kind of fuck around and then all of a yeah. sudden you have a track yeah so i fucked around with some concepts and sent it over to him and he's like oh yeah that's it mm -hmm. and it was this what is now going to be the son of moloch cover oh. and, the, and the the artwork for it mm. But the, the process of how we started out, you know, we, we listened to the music, we signed the album, and then when we got to the to the to the artwork and the narrative, that's when it became really fun. Mm -hmm. So we developed a, a, a relationship with this artist as well, where we got to know each other a little bit better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just mm -hmm. artist record label. We're now friends. Yeah. You know? I, I know exactly what you mean. And you, you, better acquainted if you will yeah yeah well i think that helps like i mean i know from i mean i'm trying to think particularly the stuff i the albums i did with frank cartel um very concept driven and i think once you understand what the concept and the story is that, that starts to drive it affects the language you use when you even when you do a facebook post about the release you know it kind of it it, it, as you say, it, it, it's just bring. It makes the whole thing much, much deeper as an experience. Yeah. And I think if you if you're if you are a vinyl buying, which you know, I guess most are, you're going to listen to the album. And you're going to read. You're going to look at the map on the back. That you, you know, you're going to read the look from the story that goes with it. And that just that just paints pictures for you, along with the music. I think it's it's a beautiful thing. Then it's it's um, yeah. No, full respect for that. I think that's. Um, that's, that's that's what that's what a label should do that's what a label should yeah do. well you know the impetus for that was first of all i've been buying records since i was 17 so way back in the 90s mm -hmm. and uh, many times i would come across a record where i would just be in awe of the artwork and all the little bits and bobs that were on it like what is what is going on here mm -hmm. then you'd find out that they would hide messages and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But the big impetus was the last David Bowie album. Mm. Because when that album came out, the people that went out and bought the vinyl copy of it discovered very quickly that they had done something with that record, with that packaging mm. that was like chock full of secrets. 
and secret messages mm. and hidden things. Like one guy accidentally left the record in his car for five minutes and the sun was shining on it. And he discovered that it had a UV activated ink. Yeah, I didn't know that. Man. That they used, yeah. And it, the, the black star, if you expose it to sunlight, if I read this correctly, you expose it to sunlight, it reveals stars. Like there's something else going on there. And then he had he had all these hidden messages in the lyrics of the songs. Um, and people are still figuring out that there's stuff that he hid on this record. That's crazy. Either within the lyrics or within the spectrum audio data, kind of like Aphex Twin. Mm -hmm. um, or that it's in the artwork that there's something about the ink that they use. Like this, you know, it's like packed full of secret sauce. And that really has me going. I was like, man, that is so fucking cool. Like, I want to do something like that. You know? This is Blitzabor. You're listening to Base Agenda.
gonna say if you had the budget, so there's no, no limit kind of thing, what, what would you like to do as a, as a vinyl kind of, or a package, a package, you know? I was, I've always been fascinated with layers. Mm. Um, how layers make up a whole you know, Gestalt theory. Yeah, yeah. And um, how, how different layers and transparencies can look really cool on their own, but then you put them together to create something completely different. Mm. Mm. And I've been thinking about like, how would you do that with vinyl and packaging design? Like where the, the outer jacket was um, either clear vellum paper with something printed on it or clear plastic. And then when you put the inner sleeve into it, it reveals the combination of the two creates a new image. Mm. And then if the inner sleeve is clear too, the record itself would become part of the image in some way, you know, like thinking about how different layers, kind of like we did with Save the Robots, but a little bit deeper than that. With Save the Robots, it's like super obvious, like there's the, mm. you know, it's the die cut and then there's the inner sleeve and then the record. Yeah. But with. I see what you're saying though, you take it another step further kind of thing. Yeah, I would I would play around a lot with different materials and how they interact with each other when you, mm. when you slide them over each other. Um, mm. I've been really fascinated with this concept out of the Netherlands, it's called green vinyl, where they injection mold vinyl records. I don't know if this technology has taken off yet, I, I'm thinking it's probably still super expensive. Um, but they were, <laughs> yeah. Well, vinyl records right now, they're pressed in an old steam press with the vinyl mm. granules. It's apparently not the most environmentally friendly thing in the world. No, no, There's a company in the Netherlands called Green Vinyl that invented an injection molding process where the quality is on par with real vinyl records. And when I first discovered this, I was like, man, there's so many cool things you could do with that. You could injection mold a uh, a USB stick or an RFID tag into the center of the record. So you could sell the vinyl with the digital together and the digital would be on a USB stick that you could then reuse if you could figure out a way to... Just pop it out of the, <laughs> yeah. out of the middle of it. Like a jigsaw, the, pu jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Kind of Man. Or I used to build model kits. I used to love building model kits. So think about your, your record comes in a box and you have to assemble it by trimming it off the little plastic trees like you used to build model yeah, kits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd have to put the two halves of the record together, you know, and then put the one. label together and the top of the label would have like a little building on it or something. Yeah. Like, those are some ideas that I've had where if budget were unlimited, I would be on that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Like, a, like yeah. a, a cross between science cult and Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> without without all the umlauts, yeah. Without, yeah, without all the shit. Yeah, but uh, I mean, that is a, wouldn't that be cool? Wow, man, that would be very I, I love product design. I, I think product design is something that's some, sometimes heavily overlooked. Um, something I, I I thought about a while ago, I don't, this kind of fits, I mean, I'm glad somebody else has these mad ideas. I quite like the idea. I guess a friend of mine bought a 3D printer a while ago. In fact, he got he got he was one of the first people. I, but he got he got it early as, as far as having one at home was concerned. And I love the idea that you could kind of send the code for a record to somebody and they could 3D print the vinyl at home or something like that. Yeah, and that's I mean, that, that's that, probably not too. I mean, it's kind of we're kind of there. Aren't we? I think maybe. Um, you just got to have the no, know I how. Think, 
You know, there was that, that thing online where somebody used an electron microscope to look at violent records and the needle tracking the group. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. So we're talking submicron levels of precision from a 3D printer. Yeah, we're not there yet. And I, I don't think that we're there yet. I think the lowest they go now is like five micron, I think. Like if you get the Prusa 3D printer, you get you get really fine looking prints, but you can still see the print lines. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we'll get um, there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. I, I I think the idea is fantastic to be able to have a, a printer where you can take the vinyl record like lift it out of a bath and it'll be composed of the material that it's supposed to be in whatever color you want and it's just pop it on and play it and it's perfect, you know. Yeah. That would be that would be something else. I like yeah. that idea actually because that would be a single use thing because of course with the 3D printer you, it's just piracy. That could be yeah. could be like endless copies. But what you've just yeah like yeah, yeah. oh man there's so much potential. Keep playing that lottery, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully one day. Or if anything, just the idea itself I think is fascinating. Just to think about it and put the idea out there. Hmm. And then maybe one day somebody will pick it up and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, you know? At least the idea has been put out there. Sharing sharing the idea and the, the innovation, I think, is important as well. So, well, yeah, that gets the cogs whirring, you know? Yeah. It gets the hive mind onto, <laughs> onto the case. Yeah. yeah, man. And I think it also speaks to the rarity of, of what, what needs to be associated with music. We, we need to have... At, for the music industry in as a whole needs to have a, a good long discussion about rarity and assigning quantity because right now every every piece of music that comes out it's just fed into this machine and it's just duplicated a trillion times yeah, to the point where there is no more there you can no longer put a number on it which is why on spotify you get paid a thousand of a penny or some bullshit oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. you know it's so, so fucking stupid it's like mm. no how about there's a record i heard in 1998 and it's still with me in my head you know it was so so seminal to me i need to find this record and you go on a journey and you find the record and there's only ever been 200 copies of it pressed right the artist that made that record barely ate on that but still there's that rarity and it's that the preciousness of that piece of music like what if more music could be this way where it's a, there's a finite amount of it right and that's what keeps it that's what makes it precious that's what makes it important that's what makes it not qualify for the mass consumption through Spotify or through copy and paste sharing or anything like that. And that I makes think, it more think, memorable, more timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that in Electro. There's a lot of rarities in Electro where you really have to dig, you really have to look. And, you know, there's a lot of Electro that hasn't even been discovered yet from 20, 30 years ago. Oh, man. I mean, every day is a school day. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so deep and so rich and it's incredible. And even and not just electro, electro, uh, IDM, techno, and mm. other kinds of electronic music. I found amazing electro tracks on albums that have absolutely nothing to do with with yeah. any genre whatsoever. They're just weird little yeah. things that happen. You mm. know, 
Well, I had this chat with, um, I don't know if you saw the show or heard it, but I, I, there's a guy in the UK called Dr. Billy Proctor who's writing a book on electric. I love that. I, 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 was, I was watching or listening to that. I loved it. Oh, okay. I was in the chat. Yeah. Oh, wait, sorry, man. My memory's terrible. But yeah, it was... Um, okay. I, I just love that. Like the Cat Stevens track um, is, is Dog a Donut. You know, that... that I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. it's, it's it's electro. I mean, it, well, it, well, I, it's, 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 you can. It definitely fits in that in that sphere somehow. And yeah, I mean, I, I've loved Cap Stephen for years. I've never even thought, yeah. about, you know, Teeth of the Tiller Man. But you wouldn't listen to that and think, oh, this guy's going to make an electro. It's just, and that's 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 somebody well known. As you say, there are going to be people who, who barely barely appeared on people's radars who probably made some amazing stuff. You know, these little um, B sides and shit. Doctor Dre. Dr. Dre recorded a record in the 80s called Techno City, and it's full-on electro. I've heard that. That's, yes, it's it almost is. it's almost like a Planet Funk clone. Like you listen, or yeah, you listen to it, and you're like, he he tried to copy them, but yeah, it's a yeah. great record. Or the this is a yeah. crazy example. Paul McCartney recorded a proto techno track in 1981. Oh, really? Like out of yeah, and I can't remember the name of it. I, I I saw it somewhere, and somebody said this is proto techno, recorded by Paul McCartney, mm. and he had you know it was drum machines and synthesizers and him singing through I, something like a vocoder, and I was like, that's that's kind of cool. Like Paul McCartney, wow. We're not we're not talking about the frog chorus here, are we? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I. I, I was I was blown away by it, and it's another one of those things like he just kind of did it, and then it kind of got forgotten, right? But yeah, there's so much, there's su- such a, a depth mm. of of things where you can still find stuff.
There are some there's cases where your own ambitions will overtake the the core narrative of what the artist is essentially trying to do with the release. Oh yeah. And the value values of the scene, I think, going back to what you were saying yeah. about people being supportive, etc. You know, this there are certain people that I think, you know, they they, they sometimes forget that actually this, this is about connecting people and that you know it's, it's, it's driven by love and creativity. Um, to no, use a doesn't happen often, but to use a strange idiom, you have to pick your lane. If if you're a creative person and you have really great artistic ideas about product design and things like, okay, mm. if you have something that you want to do that is really outrageous and just really far out, mm. do it with your own music, mm. because then you're the only one at risk. Yeah. If you're using another artist's music to do this like crazy stuff maybe the artist isn't fully on board with it like at first they'll be like oh yeah that's really cool as anybody would be like oh that's really awesome but then it gets so far away from the artist that you now start putting yourself on, as, uh, as the top name on the project and the artist is like well i'm second now on my own release like what's going on so yeah, i think that's important. i think it's important to pick your lane um if you're going to do something risky do it do it with your own music and then see how it works. And if you have the, the money and the wherewithal to do it, then yeah, okay. But don't put someone else's creative output at risk. Just do it with your own. Because then it also helps you better connect the music with the, the narrative of, and the art that you're trying to project, you know? So if you want to yeah. do like wooden boxes and plexiglass and screen printing, a limited edition of 50, great. But do it on your own. Do it, do it by yourself. Mm. Um, and then document the journey document how you how you figured out how to get the the laser cutting for the wood document mm. where you got the the records pressed in such limited quantity document who you got to do screen printing if you do the screen printing yourself document how you arrived at that journey you know i'm a i'm, I'm not just an artist i'm also a maker so i hmm. i build i build a lot of things like i built the studio that i'm sitting in i built the furniture in here I do a lot of tinkering with synthesizers mm. um, and as a maker iterative processes are really important because I'm always learning how to do something better how to improve mm. uh, precision on something you know like the first piece of furniture you build you're like oh really proud of it looks great and then five years later you look at it and you're like I didn't realize it was half working <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. as you continue to make and build things you 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 have to document your own process and mm. understand what you've learned. It's the same with music. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly learning. I mean, yeah, I do audio engineering, I do mastering for the label, but I'm still learning. I'm still figuring things out. Um, so life form on avoidant. Um, yeah, man, that's a that's a heavy one. <laughs> I love it. I actually really like that track. Mm. I great. love that track. It's great. Yeah. Thank why? You. Why, why is it? Why is it important to you, man? 
because it's the direct result of me literally i was we were at my we were at my dad's house mm. in texas for christmas okay and i was bored I'm sitting on the couch with my laptop and i was like oh, i'm just gonna fuck around so i I was working with this plugin called Microtonic from Sonic Charge or Mutonic. And I was like, I wonder if I just stick like a shit ton of LFOs on all the controls and just make everything like wiggle like really fucking crazy and then play like a sequence. And then out came this like, rawr, 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 you know, this yeah, 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 essentially yeah. what life form, the main sound. Man, that sounds like sounds like some beast in a cage trying to get out, but it's nothing that we know of on this planet. You yeah, know? that's it, man. It's a, and it's a big something, it's a big big beast in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, oh yeah, I gotta I gotta do something with this. And then I wrote some heavy ass beats behind it. You know, I didn't because mm. I I don't mm. I don't personally like using traditional like 808, 909 type stuff. a drum machine or a drum synth that i built in reactor um mm, and then okay. i like to use other drum synths that are just that don't produce normal drum sounds mm, um, right right okay so mm. i like doing a lot of my own shit and i have a lot of 
like weird little things here. Like I have this, I'll show it to you. I just got this recently. It's called a rhythm box. Okay. And it's made by this guy in Seattle. Mm. It's a 3D printed case, really well made. Um, yeah. The most of, I mean, everything is pretty straightforward, but when you turn it on and play with it, like it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> And it makes the most insane sounding drum sounds and rhythms, and it's mm. different every time. Wow. You know, I love I love weird shit like that. So, mm. But yeah, with Lifeform, I was playing around with it, and just sitting on my dad's couch. I recorded the track. I had a little Korg nano controller in my lap, and then just sat there and just recorded the track, and that was it. <laughs> That, that was that was the I love I love the idea of you sitting in this really chilled environment with your family yeah. <laughs> creating yeah. this absolute fucking monster. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's just, it just me finding some time and, and filling in boredom and having a little bit of fun and just, yeah. You know. So that's your Christmas record, then. This is yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool, man. Really love that one. It's so heavy as well. me and Jimmy, uh, James Freer, the guy I run sides both with, um, yeah. one of my best friends, mm. one of the nicest people in the world I know. Um, cool. He had, he he's a huge UMEC fan, like that's, okay. he's a huge UMEC fan. So when we signed UMEC, he was of course like stars in his eyes. Mm. And then he started working on the remix. He, he's got some other things going on in his life and he kind of got distracted with the remix and he could never get it to a place where he was really happy with it okay and then he said you know do you want to do the remix together because i really want to do the remix but i'm not getting anywhere with it so he sent me all the parts mm. that he had done and then i basically took his remix ideas and then remixed them again
Hi, this is Zumek, Akazeta Reticula, and you are listening to Base Agenda. Kind of coincidence at the time i was already working on some some like beats where i was just again just me being bored fucking around with drum machines having fun and i was like oh this will actually kind of go great with this and just put it together over the course of a couple of days and sent it to him mm. and he's like okay and then i said can i get a recording of you speaking into a crappy microphone and just saying no to tech and just like in this like completely careless kind of voice mm. he's like really so he recorded himself saying no to tech, no to tech, no to tech. Just like really, really lackluster performance. Yeah. And I, I put that right in the track with a vocoder. And he's like, you just put that in. And I was like, yeah, it sounds great though, right? And he's like, yeah, somehow weirdly does. Well, it does. It, yeah, it's got that kind of dispassionate robotic thing yeah. going on, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I don't collaborate with people ever really because i i'm really shit at collaborating with people i'm just terrible at it <laughs> but with him i collaborate really well he's just mm. one of the rare people that i can collaborate with
trying to think. There's one track of yours we've missed out here somewhere. Oh, Their World. This is from the new release, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Really cool. And, Thank you. Uh, again, I mean, that actually, the new release from start to finish, I'm, I'm, I'm really digging it. Thank um, you. Really cool, man. So, yeah, why that one for you? Okay, so I've been a steady consumer of science fiction since I was three years old. Okay. So I'm I'm a proper nerd. I'm I'm a I'm a geek. <laughs> I'm a Trekkie. I'm a Star Wars guy. I, I just I love science fiction and I love all the concepts with it. Hmm. And I've been listening to electronic music for pretty much most of my life. Um, right. Right. So for me, the connection with the music and the visuals between sci-fi uh, with sci-fi are always been really really key. Hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about like where are things heading, the future of humanity, and the eventual melding of technology and humanity to mm-hmm. what they famously like to refer to as the singularity, yeah. where computing power will surpass the amount of brain power, and then we can become digitally transferred. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. More relatable from Black Mirror, the San Junipero episode, right? Where they stick a little dot on the side of your head oh, and you're man, living yeah. inside this world for the rest of mm. your for the rest of eternity, and it's really just in a computer. Yeah. Um, I keep thinking about that, and I'm thinking about like, eventually that's going to happen, and there's there's nothing there's nothing preventing it from happening currently, but no. at the same time, it's like, how do we how do we make that transition? How do we transition from flesh and blood to something else, something, a completely new kind of existence, mm. whether that's cybernetic, cyborg, or eventually being completely digitally transferred into, in, into digital consciousness. And so I approached the EP with the thought of like, who, who do you think you are, mm-hmm. right? And by who do you think you are, it's in that Descartes kind of sense of, it's it's who you think yourself to be and yeah, then okay. who do you want to be in that world who do you want to be in their world because mm. ultimately any kind of digital consciousness transference or any kind of new way of existing like in ready player one for example where the immersion technology someone is going to figure out a way to profit off of that by advertising no oh, for sure and then it's going to not be it's going to be this new world for a short time because before it becomes someone else's because they're profiting off of your consciousness and your thoughts and things. Yeah. So who do you want to be in that world? What do you, what do you think you're going to be? Are you going to be somebody that's going to exist freely in that? Mm. Or are you going to be a product? We're already products of technology. Mm. Anybody that has a Facebook account, you're a product. Mm. Um, mm. Make no mistake about it. Mm. You're part of a marketing measure and a weekly yeah. marketing meeting call. You're not, you're a number, you yeah. know, Commodity. Who do we want to be in that world? Mm. So it's thinking about the larger implications of how to, how we interact with technology and how technology is taking advantage of us, mm. and how much control can we and do we want to retain over that? Mm. Um, mm. You know how much how much are we sharing about ourselves to make available to the large machine that is turning us into a product? Mm. I know that's like super philosophical and meta and all kinds no, of No, I like it. I, I get it. Man. I, I, like I do it. think about these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I get it. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. So that's that's the theme across the EP or it's this It's the theme track. across the EP, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. Mm. With the notable exception of it's all just talk. Um, the, mm-hmm. the the voicemail message that I put in there, that's an, an old, mm. old, old friend that died many, many years ago. Okay. Um, Mm. Uh, mm. 
that's yeah. that's him talking wow. um, in that nice. voicemail. And so when nice. when I rediscovered that in my hard drive, I was like, yeah, I gotta put a track. Yeah. I gotta put that in the track. Wow, that's crazy. So so, so you came across the voicemail in in, in recent time. Yeah, uh, my one of my best friends had recorded. He had a, a tape answering machine. This was 25 years ago, almost 30 years ago. Right, right. And this, and our friend, our mutual friend, kept calling every day and leaving voicemails and would just go on and on and on. <laughs> and he he recorded the tapes digitally and then gave me the recordings and said, "This is him. Wow, just do something with it." And I had it sitting, I had it sitting in my my samples folder for decades mm. and you know again bored looking for new ideas going right. through my samples folder and there it is there's all the voicemails and i'm like what a, oh yeah i remember those are the voicemails so i listened to them and i was like i wonder if this would go well with this track i'm working on chucked it in put a ring modulator on it and i'm like perfect that's, be- that's <laughs> it beautiful just, it just man. worked you know that's beautiful i like that man i'm gonna listen to that again straight after this that's uh, that's really cool
Hennehauf und ihr hört Base Agenda Radio. Something I'm gonna mispronounce, I guess, is Liebknecht. Liebknecht. Barcelona. Liebknecht. There you go. Yeah, Liebknecht. One of my favorite artists, Daniel Maya. Great um, stuff. We have a lot of respect for each other's work. He is. Mm-hmm. He is a really, really cool guy. I really love his work. I love his production. He puts a lot of production mm. value into what he does. He really spends the time to make mm-hmm. sure that everything is super balanced. I love his meticulous approach. Mm. Um, and he approached us for a, for a release. And the first thing I thought of, we got to put him on Astro Spectra and then I'll do, I'll do a remix of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun with that remix. I love that remix. <laughs> it's great, man. Really nice. Thank you. 
How do you, I mean, do you approach remixes differently? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you do, because you've not created a lot of the sounds that are in there. I'm gonna get this wrong, because it was a long time ago that I read this, so I'm gonna get it wrong. So if anyone listens to this, please correct me in the comments. But I believe it was Kenny Larkin mm -hmm. that said, I do not listen to the whole track. I just ask them for the parts. It was either Carl Craig or Kenny Larkin that said that, and I do the same thing. I've always done it this way. I never listen to the track. I, I listen to a snippet, and then if I'm feeling it, I'm like, I want to remix that. Mm. And then I have him send me the parts, and then I treat the parts as a as a toolkit to create something new. I get you. And I kind yeah. of said a little, like if there's a vocal, then I know, okay, it, I got to keep the vocal in there, right? So I got to keep that relation in there. But I treat all the parts as if they were just something for me to make something completely new with. Okay. So they send me yeah. the stems. I chuck the drums out. I don't because I I, I want to write my own drums. I want my mm. own my own drum groove on it. Mm. And then I listen to the bass line or mm. the synth parts, and then see how they interact with each other. And then it's then I go right into experimenting. Mm. Like how badly can I fuck this up? before it becomes completely unrecognizable. I love that yeah. principle. I love that principle, man. How can I fuck this up? And that's where the good stuff comes from. I love that. That's, that's yeah. Cool. Time to check out Cert's influences now, kicking off with Plastic Man and Fuck. In high school, um, we had I had a room in my dad's house called the DJ room where I had my turntables, my mixer, and then me and my friends would hang out mm -hmm. and we would just listen to music. We would go to the record store and we would listen to ska and punk mm -hmm. and alternative and then techno and jungle and breakbeats and just whatever, mm -hmm. you know, whatever we had spent our money on that night. We'd just sit around and listen to records and mm -hmm. that particular track was like one that we listened to a lot because there's just something about that rep rep mm -hmm. repetitive beat that really had us like hooked you know yeah yeah it's really uh it's really subtle i don't know i mean a lot of his stuff is, is, is very, you can't quite put your finger on it but there's like really something that draws you in um yeah you, know, you could listen to a 35 minute version of the same track and you wouldn't get bored you know? <laughs> exactly there's like subtle little changes that happen throughout it, it, it's on a subconscious level, really.
And then, of course, we've got to talk about Aphex. Um, so, Analog Bubble Bath 1. I think I'll probably play Isopropolex um, yeah. out of the... Just because I think it'll fit. And I love that little child voice. Yeah. I, just, that, I remember hearing that for the first time. And I don't think I'd ever heard anything so surprising in music before. <laughs> I was just like... It just quits. And then it's like... I was like, what the like, fuck is that? I was just... And it, I yeah. Just, it was just... But yeah, there's was, something uh, about IDM that really that I love, and that is we're as as people, as humans are naturally attuned to adaptability. Mm, like mm. we we are pattern recognizers, but mm. we also naturally are tuned to adapt, right? Yeah. Whenever we listen to new music and we allow ourselves to listen to it and process it, neuroplasticity is the thing that rewires your brain mm. to process this new input. Mm, yes, I think yes. that's also a really good exercise for anyone trying to challenge themselves creatively. Listen to something that you've never listened to before and try to like work through it. Mm. I'm not saying you need to sit down and start listening to country music if you're a techno artist, but maybe try <laughs> listening to some jazz or something else. Mm. But IDM, the first thing it did for me was is like completely rewired my brain. And Aphex Twin music or Mike mm. Paradinas, Atekra, mm. you know, that's the stuff that really did that for me, where it was like, it really forced me to completely change the way I was thinking. And that's why I love Aphex Twin mm. and especially that analog bubble bath mm. because it's lush and beautiful but it's sonically challenging because it's mm. not, it's, it's a bit atonal.
He did not like, or he still doesn't like using classical uh, scales. No. He likes being atonal and not even microtonal like people think that he sits down and writes calculations. I think he probably just kind of tweaks his shit a little to where it's not quite right. Mm. And that's where it's exactly where it needs to be for mm. him, you know. I think you're be, probably right. Yeah. Just be off, you know, and I love that. Yeah. Because it challenges you to go, okay. I gotta work my way through this a little, mm. you know. Yeah. agenda.
Nine Quadras. Uh, that's a great track, man. I like that. I'm a big fan of Steve Rahmat. Mm, he's great, man. I I love his work. He has this beautiful, lush, mm. futuristic sound. This mm. like these like floaty scents and stuff, and it's very dubby, right? It has a dubby feel to it. Mm. Um, yeah. But the first time I heard his tracks, I was like, oh my god! Mm. It had you know that shimmering Juno that he has mm. throughout all of his a lot of his tracks. It just it just kind of grabs you, you know. And then he has mm. this beautiful, he has a really beautiful sense of melody, mm. Mm. Um, and he knows how to write beats. He, he's one of those people that can take a 909 and not make it sound like a 909 right off the bat. Mm. He makes it sound thicker and heavier and deeper. Mm. Um, so that's what that's why mm. I love his sound. And same with uh, the other track that I mentioned to you, "Son of Norma." Oh yes, I yes, that's from 1993. Still one of my favorite tracks of all time. I absolutely love that track. It's mm. just so, it's so simple, and so well, so mm. well put together. And the way that it that shimmering synth sound that just yeah undulates throughout the whole track. I, I just love it. Yeah, it's great. It's really nice, man. And it's it's one of those tracks that that really sums up the less is more kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Principle of, of, of good techno, isn't it? It's like, as you say, it's yeah. simple, but yeah. You know, seventeen-year-old me hanging out in the warehouse in the middle of the night at a rave, hearing that coming on, just going, "Whoa!" Like, yeah, this is cool. You know, <laughs> those are the moments, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, really, really cool.
I was going to ask you about the tracks that you make because you obviously you are on the more abstract experimental side of things, I guess, but as far as certainly for electro. And I was, I was thinking, how do you know when a track is finished? Because like, I'll give you, I'll just explain my thinking because a, a, a lot of electro, there's kind of a, there's like an essential ingredient that appears in 90% of electro. You know, so you've got the drum track, you've got the bass line, you've got the break in the middle, you've got the long lead in, the long lead out, you've got the... Whereas all, and, and that applies to a right. huge amount of electro. I'm, and I'm not saying that that's bad, but that, that is, that's just fact. But with your stuff, you're far more... I mean, some of your tracks get straight to it. Some of your tracks are a little bit more, you know, build, build up. But there's, there's so many great elements going on. I love your sound. But I just wonder, how, how do you... I don't know, how do you get to the point where you think, right, that, that track is done. Do you know what I mean? Because you're working with structures that are not yeah. conventional structures, I guess. It's a really great question. Um, it's an iterative process, for one. So I mm. do tons and tons of sketching. Right. And I've talked about this before. Mm. When you're in the, in the work, mm. you sketch and sketch and sketch and sketch. So you don't start, it's not Bob Ross, right? You don't start painting happy little mountains and happy little trees. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You're sketching, you're constantly sketching. Mm. And that's 90% of a track for me is that I'm constantly sketching. I sit on the couch late at night with my laptop and I write beats and melodies mm. and stuff. And then I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know? And then I do a save as and then I just fuck it up just for, just on purpose, completely screw it mm. up because I really just want to know how how weird how badly can i mess this up and then by doing that i create something entirely mm. new and then i'm like oh that's cool you know or or it's shit and i just chuck it and then i i start over and i start something well else. i guess by doing that so you, you, you kind of get sorry i guess by doing that you kind of get kind of create your own happy accidents yeah you create the happy mm. accidents you create usable usable bits and pieces and ideas and sometimes it just kind of clicks like it just comes mm. in you know, you just sit down, you sketch, and then all of a sudden it just happens and you're like, track. And then you either jump on it mm -hmm. or you don't. And when you, you jump on it and you record it, you know, and this is where knowing if a track is finished or not, I guess it comes down to your process. There, mm -hmm. are, there are people that like to draw the track out in the arrangement mm -hmm. view, like bit by bit, and that works perfectly for them. And then they'll record automation and they do it all bit by bit and then they you know it's like creating a digital like picture yeah. for me yeah. it has to be live like i record every track as a live performance mm -hmm. and i do it in ableton so that all of the movements are captured and maybe some of the mistakes are captured and then i take that then I get out of that right brain mode and I go into left brain analytical mode and then I start to analyze like, okay, the structure of the song and where does where do things need to be? Like I want this I know I want this to be a three and a half minute track because it's kind of chill, it's you know, one thirty five BPM mm -hmm. maybe. Okay. Well the when when I recorded it as a performance, it turned out to be six and a half minutes, which to me is far too long for something like this. So then I start mm -hmm editing it down but it's always i think it's part of having been a dj for as long as i have because mm. with djing you kind of feel mm. when it's the right moment to bring in another track you feel it 
you you're listening and you're feeling and you know okay this is the right moment to bring in the next yeah, track time for change yeah. even even if it's in the middle of a breakdown you bring in another intro mm -hmm. and you know you're super nervous because you're trying to make sure it's on beat <laughs> but still like you pick that moment and you do it by feeling by what feels right because you're also like in the music you're dancing yeah, yeah. and that's the way it is with tracks mm -hmm. um the the way i know it's done is i i i've developed the process for myself where i very meticulously switch from right brain creative mode to left brain mm -hmm. analytical mm -hmm. mode right brain is all the creative ideas are down they're all they're recorded they're down mm -hmm. or i've taken notes on them or i've i've recorded the the effects you know i've done all the creative work now i do the analytical work putting it together right. and that's the part where i make the decision on the, the length of the track and where things go and then i spend even more time mm -hmm. in a separate daw doing the mix down and processing everything meticulously to make sure that there's balancing you know and that's that to me is the part where the track is right. done the track it has been done for a long time because the creative part of me has already recorded mm -hmm. it and the that flow is already in my head okay. but then the the analytical side is what what does all the polishing and finishing because i used to work i used to work purely creatively i would just record it and then i would just save it as a pre-master quote unquote and then send it to the label who would then go yeah the mastering engineer just told me that you're mixing his shit <laughs> can we start over please because yeah. you know? that happened to me a lot i would send it i would send tracks to a mastering engineer and they'd be like what yeah. in the hell are you yeah, doing yeah, yeah. This is horrible. <laughs> so you have to snap yourself out of the creative mode and become analytical so that you can then polish. And that's the part where you learn to finish a track mm, properly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So the live performance aspect of it, that's the track finished for you in your head. Mm. The analytical process is finishing the track in a in a format that can now be processed further for mastering and for pressing on record or putting it out on the release yeah. um if that's the end goal of course i really love the moog dfam a lot mm -hmm. um because it's one of those weird little semi-modular synths that there's just something about it like you can get it to behave like a drum machine if you want to Right. but you can also get it to behave like a synth you can get it to make pad sounds mm. it's just it's something that where it's weird is at the core right okay I'm it's not intended to be a normal thing it's not it was never intended to be a one-trick pony like there's a subharmonicon i had the subharmonicon in the studio for a little while mm. and it sounds great and i know there's people that love it so i'm not i'm not dissing on it Mm. But to me, the subharmonicon was a one-trick pony. It did one thing and one thing really well, and that's mm. kind of where it ended. And so for me, that became uninteresting really quickly. Um, the the DFAM, it's just there's something weird going on with it. You can get that thing to sound so weird, so alien, so out of this world. Mm. You can get it to talk. You can get it to make drum sounds like thundering basses and snares and hi-hats and all kinds of stuff. And then you can get it to be really nice and make these lush, weird sounding pads that yeah. have this gritty texture to it. So that's one of my go-tos. 
Um, mm. I also really enjoy the Yuhi plugins a lot, um, like the Ace and the Batsele and uh, the Was Heckman plugins. I don't know okay. if you're familiar with those. Um, no. I recently no. got a Virus Ti, okay. and I'm really, I'm really loving it because it's got, it's a really great palette. Mm, right. Of like different sounds, but you can create stuff with it very easily. I really love creating mm. new sounds, mm. cool. and I like weird toys. I like weird, weird shit. Like I got this thing called the Mega FM, which uses the Sega Mega or Sega. It's called the Mega in Europe, and in America, it was called the Sega something or other. I can't remember. I didn't okay. play much video games, but it uses the voice chips from a Sega video game console. As FM chips, right? I and see. It is utterly insane, and I <laughs> love it because you can adjust every parameter. Because with FM, you can't always adjust all the parameters. On this thing, you can. Wow! Um, and everything is automatable. You can automate the arpeggiator mm. in like some really wild and crazy ways. Um, I just I love I love things that have weird or different at the core, or things that were intended to. To be something, but never quite made it. Like,、mm. you know, I guess the best example would be the 303. The 303 was intended to be a bass guitar replacement, but it never made it there. Not even close. But it became、yeah. something completely unique on its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Um, mm. Pearl Syncussion is one of my favorites because, again, it's just if if you tweak it too much, it starts spitting out weird sounds, and that's exactly my kind of thing, right? Yeah,、um, yeah. I can yeah. get it to sound like a drum machine if I want to, but the fact that it lets me do so many weird things,、mm. I, I can I, I can get more out of it that way.、Mm. So you def you definitely into the manipulation side of thing, and, and、yeah. I'm into the manipulation side of things. I'm into things that are that were that are one offs. Like I have this thing over here. I'll show it to you. It's called a it's called a Sismo. Okay. Quad Quadrox. <laughs> And it's made by this super talented guy. It's either in in Brazil or Colombia. I can't remember. It's in South America.、Okay. He's in South America. He makes these. He sells them on reverb.、Mm. They're amazing. I'm, I'm assuming these all, things are very limited. I mean, there's probably not many of these units around. That you. Oh、have. no, these are basically like garage projects, right? These are yeah, things yeah. that people build in their garages. I mean, yeah, you know, hand cut aluminum plates with yeah, drill, yeah. with drilled out holes. <laughs> Bought the knobs on some marketplace, but it sounds so fucking cool, and it just makes weird shit. It just、I、makes weird it. noises. I, I have、it. a synth in here somewhere that's made out of wood. I don't even know where it is,、um, okay. but a guy just hand wired it, hand etched the circuit board, and sold it on Etsy. The controls are made out of balsa wood or something like that. It makes weird fucking sounds. I love、wow. I love stuff like that. that. Sounds great. And yeah, I know I won't be able to find parts for it, or in twenty years, or it may break. But that's, I think, the best part about stuff like this is、uh, it's almost part of the charm, isn't it? In, in, yeah, in, in a weird way. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, wow, that's cool, man. Some interesting toys there. <laughs> I'm not afraid.
So yeah, Lord Jalapeno, man, he's does some grace. I need to he's somebody else I need to speak to interview at some point, I think. He's one of my favorite people. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely love him. He's he's such a wonderful, wonderful person. He's so humble. Mm. And he's he's somebody that takes pleasure in little things. Mm. I asked him about how he came up with the name and he said, I was sitting in my car eating lunch and I love jalapenos. And mm. I was laughing to myself about how I am the Lord of the Jalapenos. And that's how I came up with the name. And I, I thought that was so beautiful and so humble. And I'm like, that's so cool, you know? You're it's just, almost you're childlike, just, isn't it? It's like really, yeah, yeah, I love that. You're having yeah. this you're having this moment with yourself where you just kind of <laughs> laugh to yourself. Like, it's a, it's a little bit of joy, mm. you know? And then it turns into something where you're like, yeah, I'm going to call it something. I'm going to call it that, Lord Jalapenos. Um, right, it's memorable. Too, I, I love his sound. I love his approach to making music. Mm. I, he's he's somebody that um, he puts a lot of his emotions and a lot of his passion into the music. Mm. He mm. works very hard. He tries really hard. He's he's on the journey. Like I said at the beginning of our conversation, he's on that journey. So he's really yes. like fucking going for it, and yeah, I just yeah. love that. Mm. Yeah.
Hello, this is Carl Finlow, and you're listening to Bass Agenda.
And then you mentioned Daniel Meyer earlier. So he's this is the guy behind the uh, Liebknecht. Say it wrong again. Liebknecht. Liebknecht. <laughs> Sorry. Typical Brit can't fucking do. It. So um, so yes. Yeah, so, so he, he this is his uh, track under his real name. Yep. Well, I've been a fan of Sonic Groove for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to the record store in New York actually when I visited there. Really cool people. I got to meet Frankie Bones. Okay. Um, who's like really funny he's this hilarious guy Mm. got to meet Frankie Bones Heather Hart I I briefly met Adam X at the time but he wasn't Mm. very talkative he was having sort of like a day (laughs) he was just like I was like hey you're Adam of course I'm 17 right I was like hey you're Adam X and he's like yeah so okay I'm leaving but Frankie Bones Frankie's brother records yeah but he was really yeah. fucking cool Frankie Bones was really cool yeah um, he talked I told him I was he asked me where I'm from and I said I'm visiting from Texas I was living in Texas at the time so he made fun of me for a little bit and then he showed me some really amazing records but yeah I love Sonic Groove and I have a lot of respect of course for Daniel's work I think his mm. production is just fucking stellar mm. so when That's he really announced cool. that he was putting out the record um I listened to some samples of it and I immediately went out and got it. I just think it's a really great intersection of the music that he's been making so far, like the electro informed mm-hmm. stuff and the harder techno stuff, but then he still puts that more industrial sound into it as well. So it's this yeah. wonderful marriage of these different kinds of sounds, all of which he does. Like he has this band called How Job. He's done drum and bass, he's done breaks, he's done so many different genres.
yeah, as far as the future is concerned. So the final, the final Astra Spectra, the eighth in the series, is mm. coming out July nineteenth. Or by the time this airs, it will have already come out. Yes. Um, yep. And that is uh, title three nine six dot eight four seven. And then um, I've been working with a collective out of England called the Hybrid Collective. Ah, yeah. Uh, led by Kim Cosmic, mm. and we've put together a little, uh, hi- a little uh, vinyl various artists compilation. It's Kim Cosmic, Arsonist Recorder, Broken Joe, The Droid, Ikata, and myself. Mm. Uh, really wonderfully talented, great group of people. You know, six tracks on one record. So that's coming out the beginning of August, and I'm playing a live performance in London at Eclectic. Mm-hmm. Just a wonderful group of people. I love all of them. They're just really passionate. Mm. Um, so, and then the week after, I'm playing in Charleroi in Belgium. I'm okay. pretty sure I didn't pronounce that name correctly. With Polydroid and Paralog. Uh, Paralog is also an artist. He just had a release out on Science Cult. Mm. Really fantastic uh, electro release. And then Polydroid, he has the release coming out in November. So, I am sorry, in October. Kim Cosmic and you're listening to Base Agenda. Other than that, you know, we just going to keep working on science called we have some we have yeah. cool really we have some really cool releases planned for 2024 the 2024 vinyl release schedule is pretty much booked up right we're we're going to stop doing digital releases at the end of the year mm-hmm. i'm at the very very beginnings of working on an on an album for cert uh All right, a solo cool. album i've just i've been getting a lot more into idm right. idm and ambient um mm. and just continuing this track of like trying to make electro that's not electro <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. making exactly. or just not, having fun mean. and making some cool music and not calling it anything at all. I was going to say, you don't have to. Doesn't have to have a name, man, does it? show with another track from that hybrid compilation that uh, Cert mentioned. This one from Ekata. Nice track called Dark Drive.
Great stuff from Cert. Love and thanks out to him for taking part in Base Agenda. Make sure you keep an eye on him. And of course, the amazing Science Cult label. Lots coming up in the pipeline. As always, if you head over to patreon.com slash baseagenda over the weekend, you can get a voice-free version of the show, early access to the whole episode that you've just been listening to, and a load of other great stuff as well. Next month, we'll be looking into uh, that album by Polar Droid that Cert mentioned earlier on in the show. Really cool stuff. I know you're going to like it. Interview with him as well, of course, and much more besides. Until then, thanks for listening and take care. Cheers. Listen to me. What we do here, it's fucking essential. It's like oxygen. The world's dying of a thousand heart attacks. We heal them up. It's a goddamn public service what we do. It's not, it's not, that's the only reason to make music. Music, 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 music. music.